This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Well, this episode of the podcast is a return to normalcy of sorts. The last three weeks, the format of the podcast has been a little bit of an aberration from how we usually go about things here at Casting Across. But today, we're getting right back into it, normal, practical, how-to-fish kind of stuff. But at the same time, this is a little bit of a different podcast episode because I am drawing inspiration from an article that I only wrote about a week ago. Now, this is not unheard of. Uh, I'll go back into the archives of Casting Across because I'm coming up on like eight years of, of doing Casting Across. And so there's a lot of information, a lot of good stuff uh, in, in the back catalog that I'm able to take from articles and then rework for a podcast. So I'm able to take some of my thoughts that I previously thought and expand on them, riff on them, do all that in the format of a podcast. But this article only came out last week, so this is kind of different. I usually don't, don't do that. But it was such a kind of interesting concept that really falls in line with so much of what I'd like to uh, articulate on the podcast that I thought there's no reason to wait, uh, and there's no reason to, to push this one off arbitrarily for a year or something like that. Uh, and the point of the article, and I'll, I'll kind of spoil it and then come back and explain it, is four things that I explained to my 11-year-old son as we just got done getting our rear ends kicked on a small stream. So four things that I explained to my son about fishing uh, small streams. And so uh, this article was called He Needs to Know. And so we'll get to those four things here in a minute. And if you've read the article, I mean, it's like maybe 10 sentences of information. I'm certainly going to expand upon that here in the podcast. But to give a little bit of a backstory, uh, there's a stream that I just absolutely love and I adore and I am very, very protective of it. And so I'll be speaking in generalities because I know that there's people who listen who live not far from me. But it's a small creek with a native population of brook trout in a relatively suburban setting. And 
Labor Day, some states regulate your done fishing for brook trout on Labor Day. Some give you to the end of September. Um, but this is a good time to stop fishing for these fish because it's a relatively fragile population. Fragile not in the sense that there's not that many fish, but because of such a small stretch of stream in such a, a place that is prone to compromise because of a lot of what's going on around it. But this is a fish, uh, a fishing opportunity that I really, really relish. And so I was talking about how I want to go hit it before the end of, uh, you know, this imposed season. And uh, my wife said, well, why don't you take your son? I said, you know, that's a great idea. Uh, I said, which son? Because I've got four, 11 and seven, or excuse me, 11, nine, soon to be seven and four. And uh, she said, the 11 year old, and I said, okay, he can definitely hang because he can cast. He knows his way through the woods. He's not going to, you know, just jump headfirst into a, a, a puddle of mud. He's not going to wander off. Uh, he, he knows his way uh, through the wilderness and I, I trust him, right? So uh, we we say, okay, this is a great plan. And I told him it's going to be hard fishing. And she backed me up. She's like, this is going to be hard fishing. You're going to really have to work for it. You're really going to have to uh, pay attention to what dad says. You're really going to have to pay attention to what dad does. There's a good chance you're not going to be able to catch fish. Uh, but I think that the promise of uh, Dunkin' Donuts on the way there and Chick-fil-A on the way back probably made up for any difficulties that that we were going to encounter. So we talk about it. I kind of reminded him of some things and I really uh, emphasized on the way there, like just watch what I do and take your time. Kind of like those are my two things. Watch what I do and take your time. And uh, and so we, we got there and I said, do you want me to stand with you and fish or do you want me to fish and you can kind of, you know, hopscotch me go from the pool below me to the pool above me and that ended up being our plan and i was watching for a while before i started fishing and then i said you know what i need to fish and he needs to watch me fish he doesn't need me to watch me watch him fish uh so i fished and i caught some fish and uh he was getting strikes but for whatever reason the fish were being incredibly skittish even fish i was encountering were being uh, abnormally um skittish for this time of year and for how high the water was uh and it's not because of angling pressure because this is the kind of creek where uh, I, I can go after you know a few weeks without rain and the mud on the banks and their sand on the shoals doesn't have human footprints in it. There's plenty of bear and deer and fox and muskrat and snapping turtle and all, all those tracks all over the place, but nary a human footprint to be found. So it's not necessarily angling pressure, but these little native brook trout were certainly wary of us on that day. Uh, so we fished for a few hours. We had an appointment that we had to get to. We had uh, between the Chick-fil-A on the way home and then getting to where we needed to get to. We only had about an hour and a half to fish, which usually for me is enough to kind of fish through the stretch that I, I really know know very well. So we did it. Didn't have a whole lot of success. And then we started whack, walking back to the car. And as we're walking back to the car, my first question, which is always my first question, anytime I bring anybody fishing is like, uh, did you have fun? Especially when the fishing is not great. And so here I am on one of my favorite streams, um, which is not an easy stream to fish. And I brought my son out and I'm kind of nervous about the question. Did you have fun? But it was an emphatic yes. He absolutely loved it. I said, what do you like about it? And he said, it's just different. It's different than any other fishing I've done. It's different. The plants are different. The stream is different. The trout you caught was really different. It's just a really different stream. And I said, yeah, I, I agree. That's one of the things that I really liked about it. And, and we'll, we'll kind of revisit that here in a second. But as promised, here are the four things that as we walked back to the car and avoided being absolutely destroyed by mosquitoes, our pace certainly quickened after a point. Because um, once we were done being in the water, they absolutely uh, took hold of us. And we probably each gave a pint of blood. But 
as we were getting back to the car and as we were driving on our way to dinner, uh, four things that I uh, emphasized to him. And the first one is you have to focus. Now, this is true for an 11-year-old, and this is true for anyone of any age. Uh, you have to focus because in small streams, you usually only get one shot at fish. Now, there's some situations where this isn't the case. If you're fishing deep plunge pools, there's a chance that that fish is holed up somewhere where the uh, turbidity of the water or even just the motion of the water is going to obscure their view of you. And so you're able to make multiple casts to that fish. But in small streams, whether they be high gradient streams or small spring creeks where the water is moving in a way that's not obstructed, you probably are only going to get one shot at that fish. There's just not enough ways to cover your silhouette or your shadow and, and have it so that they're not seeing what's going on. So that means that the margin for presentation errors is minute. So I said, you have to focus. So this means that you can't get your you know, your fly hung up in a tree and then stand up to untangle your fly. It means you can't cast onto a log and then try to, you know, jerk your fly and your fly line um, so that your fly gets untangled. You can't mess around like that. What you have to do is you have to stop, assess your back cast, assess your casting lane, and assess even the line and the fly's trajectory. You have to make sure this is all in order. You have to make sure that there's no tangles. I mean, before every cast, do a quick look from your reel up through your shooting or your stripping guide, and then all the way up through all of your guides. You're on your tip top to make sure that your line's not tangled. Make sure that there's no loop in your fly line. Make sure there's no knot in your tippet, and then make your cast in that trajectory that you've already taken the time to kind of plan out. Now, it sounds like a lot, but it's one of those things that becomes second nature as you fish small streams like this, because you know that if you get one of these variables wrong, it's either going to be infinitely frustrating or infinitely frustrating, and you're going to ruin your chance at the fish. So, I mean, that and then even walking through the brush is a hassle if you're not paying attention to where your line is. So you have to focus. So you're really just paying attention to those small details. Now you might sound like, this is not my idea of fishing. My idea of fishing is wading out waist deep in river and just whipping that line out in a very pragmatic way and just getting that fly in a situation where a fish may get it. For me, that's fishing. And I can appreciate that. And there's a lot of value in those situations. But if you want to explore small streams, small streams of any kind, then you really need to focus. And I find that I start making mistakes when I get tired because I stop doing all those little checks. I stop paying attention to my line and my leader and my fly. I stop paying attention to my back cast and I stop really paying attention at making sure that I have a nice, good presentation of that forward cast. And at that point, things begin to compound, things begin to snowball because you're not paying attention. So you make a mistake and that leads to frustration, which frustration and, and weariness never lead to paying attention better. So it's just going to snowball and it's going to accumulate and you're going to make more and more mistakes. So the first thing we talked about is how you have to focus. And I had some great examples. I said, you know, you got into this one pool. It was a great spot. Actually, it's a picture of the pool that is on the article he needs to know. Is the name of the article he needs to know on the website. And that pool is the biggest pool in this whole stretch of stream. And the rest of the stream is like three times smaller than this one pool. But he got into a great position. And I think he was pumped that I had talked this pool up. And he basically let his back cast drop and hooked onto a fern behind him. 
And that meant he had to crawl back and unhook it. And he didn't really have the best approach. And so he very well may have spooked the fish in that pool. I mean, he had to have. There's so many fish in that pool, but he must, he must, it could have been me that spooked him, but I'm thinking it was him. So you have to focus. That's the first thing. All right. You have to focus. Second thing, you have to be a predator. You have to be a predator. What do I mean by that? Well, you have to remember that, as I've already mentioned here, but in any situation, trout are really only focused on a few things. One is eating bugs. Uh, the other is making babies once a year. The third one is not getting eaten. And when you're in a, a situation like this, a small stream, uh, the, the trout don't have the benefit of being in the top three quarters of the food chain. Pretty much everything besides bugs, and even then, you know, the, the juvenile trout uh, might be in danger of some larger macroinvertebrates. Uh, aside from bugs, everything in their ecosystem is trying to eat them. So any shadow, any silhouette, any flash of movement will send these fish running for cover. Now, I'm not the kind of guy who camos up when I go fishing. Uh, I actually usually wear a bright orange hat. And that's for the reason that I'd rather spook a few fish and not get shot in some of the places that I fish. Uh, and, and that's just a trade-off I'm willing to make. But I will wear drab colors uh, and I, I will wear camouflage. But I think much more important than that is purposeful and slow movement purposeful and slow movement. So this really is adjacent to focusing. Uh, but when, when I'm talking about focusing, thinking more about your presentation angle and where you, you know how you're going to be fishing, uh, being a predator means getting to that situation, getting to that point. So what does that look like? Well, that looks like really taking your time, assessing a pool, and then using context clues to anticipate what the pool or the run above it is going to be like. And once you have that in mind, plan out your uh, route of attack. So this may mean this pool or this run requires you to fish from river left. The next pool, you're going to have to cross over here because it requires you to fish from river right. And you're going to be bouncing back and forth and leapfrogging um, pools potentially to kind of circumnavigate to come back around because there's a down tree or there's a bluff or there's a deep hole that you can't cross. But just taking that extra few minutes to approach in a way that a predator approaches, you are not going to spook those fish. This happens more often than, than you would think, where even keeping a low profile, you get into a situation where, okay, I'm in a good spot, but then to make the cast, you have to stand up. So it almost defeats the purpose. Or to make the cast, you have to have motion that's straight, essentially vertical. Um, so although you're crouched down, your arm and your rod and, and, and your fly line are moving in such a way that they're going to be seen by the fish. Uh, and all these fish are doing all day is looking for bugs and looking for you or looking for something that's like you that wants to eat them. So you, you can't take it for granted that these fish are actively trying to not get eaten. So you have to be a predator. So we talked about that and how, kind of like I said before, he had a great approach angle and then he had to focus. But then there's other times where kind of just walking up through the stream you know, that will work on a larger river where you do have that cover, where there's enough noise of, of water moving over rocks, where even if you move slowly, you're not going to be uh, seen by fish. If the river is wide enough, they're not going to necessarily see you or notice you. And if they do, they're not going to care a whole lot because they're used to a lot of things happening in the far off peripheral of their 
clear vision. But in a stream like this, you don't have that benefit. You don't have that cover. You're unable to do that. So a lot of it is, you know, you're wearing waders and boots, not so that you can fish from the stream, but so that you can cross the stream. Uh, you're wearing pants because you're going to be kneeling down in maybe poison ivy or maybe stinging nettles. But you have to be a predator and you have to forsake comfort. You have to forsake good posture. You have to forsake the pragmatic getting from point A to point B. And you have to take circuitous routes that put you in the best situation to catch fish. At the end of the day, no one's ever like, oh, I walked so much. I crossed the creek so many times. I went to the left bank. I went to the right bank and it was terrible. I caught a lot of fish, but it was just terrible. No one says that. People will complain they didn't catch fish, and they're hopefully going to realize, you know what, I could have put in a little bit more effort to be more predatorial in the way I approach uh, these these fish. Now, you just watch a, a critter that does this. Uh, think about mountain lions, or uh, even if you've watched a fox move through the woods, um, they are not necessarily moving in a straight line. They're slinking, and they're moving, and they're finding ways to stay in the, even just the... the very minute, low-lying areas of the terrain in order to give themselves the most cover as they sneak upon the rabbit or on the, you know, whatever, the squirrel. So first, you have to focus. Second, you have to be a predator. Third, these two are super great. Hear me on these. Third, you have to appreciate it. So uh, what we could have done, instead of all this hard work of focusing and being a predator, is we could have gone to one of the larger rivers that are nearby, we could have waded into the tail end of a pool, and we could have waded right into a riffle. We could have stayed there for an hour. We could have just cast over and over again, switching flies as need be, catching some nice, chubby, stocked trout. Maybe even some wild trout here and there. There's some definitely some wild rainbows and some wild browns and some, some other brook trout and some bigger rivers around here. But the fish that we were fishing for were native brookies. And the creek that we were fishing for is a special little creek. And so what I really communicated to him is that I appreciate the qualitative superiority of this kind of pursuit. And I'm not alone, that there's a lot of people that see opportunities like this, native fish, wild fish, fish in, in strange and remote places where a, a eight inch fish supersedes an 18 inch fish on the other side of town because of what that fish represents. Now I'm not casting aspersions on the 18 inch stocked fish. I love those two. I'm going to go after those, um, you know, you know, probably 49% of the time, but there's something very, very special worth appreciating about the ecosystem, about the fish, about everything that goes into it and about the effort that goes into it. Um, you know, I think about, about archery hunting. You know, some around here, you have to hunt with a bow because they don't let you hunt with a rifle, but that's just Massachusetts for you. But, uh, you know, there's something to be said for the extra work that it takes to stalk or be patient and allow that critter to get closer so that you can harvest it. Now, I've there's nothing wrong with hunting with rifles. In fact, I've never taken a deer with a bow. I've only taken deer with rifles. But there's a, a kind of a qualitative difference in the experience. Now, quantitatively, you're ending up with the same deer and you may have more opportunities at larger deer if you're using a rifle that gives you a greater range. But from a quality experience for people who enjoy archery, then they enjoy taking deer that way. The same thing is said of, of chasing these brook trout, the conservation story, the ecological protection story, and even just the story of brook trout in this place is something that we participate in when we go fishing this way. And by doing it in a conscientious way, treating this as the last day of the season, we're actually participating in the stewardship of this resource. And so you have to appreciate it. 
You can't take it for granted. You can't treat them as small fish in a dinky little creek that's full of mosquitoes. It is something special, and it's the kind of thing that most anglers would absolutely relish having in their backyard. So the first thing is you have to focus. Second thing is you have to be a predator. Third thing is you have to appreciate it. And the fourth one, and this is one that I think kids don't really have a problem with, but sometimes they need to be reminded of when they are muddy and covered in mosquito bites. You have to see the adventure. You have to see the adventure. And this is the one, whether you are trying to take a kid with you or you're taking somebody and they're they're not catching a lot of fish, this is what you need to uh, really communicate to them, that the cumulative effect of the whole experience is a lot different than most fly fishing. So when you go fish a small stream like this, you know, it, it's a special fishing in a special place, and you're going to see different things. If you're fishing somewhere that takes work to get to, you're seeing things that other people aren't seeing. You're experiencing fish and pools and deer tracks and bear scat and trees and hawks and even covered bridges and old graffiti and, you know, rusted out old beer cans that other people aren't seeing. Now, there's adventure there. There's, you know, the, the, the hike, there is the, the drive, there's, you know, all these other things that add an entirely different facet to trout fishing that you're not going to have if you drive up to a large stream that has access and a big wide path and you walk down and you wade right in. Again, nothing wrong with that. But there's kinds of fly fishing that just like you can appreciate because of how they are special, you can appreciate because of the effort, the energy, and the adventure that goes into it. And that was the one that he really latched on. He really enjoyed the fact that, first of all, it was special because it was with his dad, right? Secondly, uh, it was someplace that required work. Thirdly, I hyped it up. I talked about how much I love this place. I talked about how much I love these fish, how much I love fishing here, how and how I like being a, being secret. We parked and I said, we're going to kind of be up against the car and we're going to wait for no cars to go by. And then we're going to run over to the creek so that no one sees us with our fishing rods. It's a perfectly legal place to fish. But uh, we we are, you know, we're the only ones that are probably fishing here. And so we tried to keep it low key and he just absolutely ate that up. And that's the kind of thing that an 11 year old you appreciate and a 16 year old appreciate, a five year old appreciate, 25 year old appreciate. And honestly, I would appreciate if someone took me someplace and we were doing that also. So those are the four things that I thought that he needed to know. You have to focus. You have to be a predator. You have to appreciate it, and you have to see the adventure. Four things that are worth knowing when you go and fish small streams. Honestly, these four things could be adapted to a giant bass pond. These could be uh, adapted to a large trout you know, tailwater. They could be adapted to a canal full of carp or a flat full of bonefish. But for me, for my boys, for my situation, this is a special place that I want to pass these things on. And I think this also, like I said, falls in line with kind of one of my major tenets or uh, pillars of casting across, which is it's not enough to know something. You want to know it and be able to communicate it. So know how to fish these places, but then know how to communicate how to fish these places. And then also take up that challenge of knowing how to articulate why it's worth fishing these places. So hopefully this is helpful for you. If you were on the edge about fishing small streams and all the work that it goes into it, hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, if you wanted to take somebody and we're kind of on the edge of how do I take them fishing these places, then hopefully this has been helpful. If you have any questions, comments, or as always, accusations, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. 
this week on Casting Across. Really exciting uh, article that came out on Monday because there's something that goes along with it. And the article is called Introducing the Fly Shop Box. Introducing the Fly Shop Box. So I, for a long time now, have wanted to put together a directory of fly shops. And after kind of holding off and tweaking things because they didn't look perfect, I said, you know what, I'm going to get the data out there, let people do with it what they will, and we'll go from there. So it is admittedly incomplete. It is admittedly arbitrary as to the categories of what makes it and what doesn't. It is admittedly not as user-friendly as it can be and hopefully as it will be, but the information is out there. So I did some more FAQs in that article introducing the Fly Shop Box. Uh, and I'll, I'll touch on the fly shop box again here at the recommendations at the end of the podcast. But then also one thing I wanted to, to mention, um, I think I'm going to talk more about this at length in a coming podcast. So like I did today, kind of quickly recycling information. I really want to drill down into this a little bit more and talk more about why I did this. And that's going to be happening in a coming episode of the podcast. Wednesday's article is called waiting in the Valley of the shadow, waiting in the Valley of the shadow. So a question that I think about myself a lot and a question that I have received um, as a pastor is what is the difference between uh, retreat and running away? Now, people don't necessarily say that in so many words, but what's the difference between stepping away rightly and stepping away wrongly? How can I take a break and it be good? And how can I take a break and it be bad? Particularly when things are hard. Things are hard at work. Things are hard at home. Things are just hard. Things are hard in my head, right? And so in this article, in a very brief way, uh, I address kind of what I see as the difference, the difference between retreating and running away and uh, how fly fishing factors into that. So definitely check that out. Let me know what you think once more, MatthewCastingAcross.com. This week's recommendation on the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast is that you go to the Fly Shop Box, which you can find links to that in that article I mentioned at the very top of the website, both in mobile and on your desktop browser, or on the sidebar of the desktop version. And it's called the Fly Shop Box Fly Shop Directory. And go through and see if you don't see your favorite fly shop. Now, I'm not talking about the sporting goods department and your favorite big box store. I'm not talking about uh, you know, the, the lodge that you go to once a year and they've got a handful of flies up at the counter. And I'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But legitimate fly shop. They focus on fly fishing. They've got mostly fly fishing stuff. I'm not saying that they are anathema if they've got, you know, bait or if they also sell, you know, uh, um, cliff bars for backpackers, but primarily fly shops. Please help me out. Help me make this so this is helpful for the community and especially for fly shops, which in many ways are kind of the heart and soul of uh, a significant part of the fly fishing community. So you will find a link to that all over the website, including at the bottom of this podcast's show notes at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.